Welcome to the Creative Soul Healing Podcast. Here we talk about the connection between creativity and healing, and how we are creative, and how creativity helps us heal mentally, physically, and emotionally. Join us now. Hi, everyone. Larissa Russell of Creative View Healing. And today I have with me Jennifer Moore. Jennifer Moore is author of Amazon bestseller, Empathic Mastery, founder and headmistress of Empathic Mastery Academy and host of the Empathic Mastery Show podcast. She's a master trainer for EFT International and a mentor and healer for other highly sensitive empaths. Intuitive from the get-go, Jennifer experienced her first prophetic dream when she was nine and she's been navigating her extrasensory awareness ever since, supporting intuitives, lightworkers and creatives to use their abilities for good is Jen's greatest passion. Learn more at empathicmastery.com. Wow. You know, there are days when things go all like the way the way they're supposed to and the way they're not. But anyways, welcome, Jennifer. <laughs> Thank you so much, Larissa. I really appreciate it. And yes, there are days where things go exactly the way you want them to. And then other days where it's like, it's all sideways, which could be an entire podcast just about the creative process when things go sideways and absolutely you know happy accidents yeah there's been so many times and that's the case um in fact somebody said that in a class this morning and they were like oh happy accidents I'm like yes let's make birds out of it (laughs) thinking of Bob Ross but it's so true there's times when we completely shift yeah um, you know what we're doing saying whatever it is because you know that's just the way it's going now Well, and personally, one of the things I have found is that a lot of times when things are going smoothly, you don't necessarily notice what needs to be adjusted or shifted. And a lot of times when something is difficult or challenging or something comes up, that's when I get the clue that I need to reconfigure something or that I need to redefine something or that I need to learn how to express something a lot more clearly. And when stuff just goes smoothly, you know, we can just keep on chugging along. And a lot of times there are improvements that would be beneficial that I'm not even going to notice until something goes sort of sideways. So, so true. Yeah. I mean, happy accidents often it's like in hindsight, it's like, oh, if that hadn't happened, then I wouldn't know this, 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 and this. It's like literally my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just call it happy accidents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or the name of my bio. <laughs> or the name of your autobiography. <laughs> happy accidents. Um, that's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. So can you share us a little bit of your story and the path that's brought you to where you are now? Past this bio that I, um, you know, tried yeah. so hard. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Jennifer Elizabeth Moore. And as, as you mentioned, I'm the author of the book Empathic Mastery, um, which the subtitle is a five-step system to go from emotional hot mess to thriving success. And I also just, just, just published um, the journal, the Empathic Mastery di- Diary to go with it, um, which can is also a standalone And it's a 52 week journal with all kinds of prompts and cool stuff Mm -hmm. and affirmations and illustrations and just really, really fun stuff to track your process. And so I started 
as a visual artist from the time I was a really, really little kid, but with a lot of imagination, a lot of curiosity, a lot of sense of wonder and a desire to be connected to magic. And so I processed the world through making art. I processed the world through, um, you know, sort of the relationship to pen and paper and crayons and all of that. But at the same time, I also was processing the world through looking for and seeking the extrasensory perceptions and just kind of like the magic in the world. And, uh, I was a very sensitive kid. I was an out, I was also an outlier. I was different than a lot of the other children. And, you know, the thing about kids is they recognize the, the ones that are not their own kind. They, and their and children are cruel. You know, they can be really, they can be really harsh around children who are different and where adults, some adults know how to be civil. <laughs> Children, on the other hand, really are like, you're not like us. And so, you know, I really identified with, with Rudolph in that, you know, I was either the last one picked on the team or just not allowed to play the reindeer games. And so I, I, um, I, and I also not only was just really different, creative, I was actually raised by atheists. So I didn't have, I was raised in a very, um, sort of conservative, very white, very upper middle class, proper New England town where the sidewalks got rolled up every Saturday evening. We had, we had no, there were no bars, no alcohol. We had blue laws and uh, you know, it's like we had more banks and churches than anything else. And so I grew up in in that kind of an environment as an outsider, but I also was really sensitive to the emotions, the thoughts, the feelings, the sensations that were going on around me. And so I was constantly being told that I was too sensitive, that I was overreacting, that I was taking things too personally, that I had an overactive imagination to just suck it up and get over it. And so I started to interpret this as that there was something wrong with me. And my way of dealing with that as a little kid and as an, and even as a young adult was through food and particularly through turning to sugar, because in the short term, it made me feel much better in the long term. It made me feel a lot worse. And so sort of the combination of being an artist was one of the places where I got to be myself. And because I had, um, talent and I had the ability to, to do artwork, visual art. Well, it was one of the places in my life where I got, I got validation. I got strokes. I got acknowledgement for, for my talents and my skills. And so it was a natural place for me to go. Um, and as I got older, basically I I, all of my coping mechanisms, particularly things like the food and the getting into relationships that were not serving me, that kind of stuff really started not working to the point where I needed more support and help. And so I started on a healing journey for myself. And eventually that led me beyond just being an artist to the point where I really wanted to support and help other people 
and share the miracle of healing with other people because I know what it's like to struggle. And I also know what it's like to feel relief. And I wanted to help other people with that. So I could go on and on about the story, but that's kind of like, I don't know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the short, sweet version, you know, kind of the HBO first look of Jennifer Moore's life. I love it. I love it. And it's so true that, you know, similar to you, uh, what I had gone through and all of those things led me to want to share that, you know, with with, uh, my, uh, the people who follow me as well, because it's like, you know, what works and you just like, here, let let me help you because I I, I want, I want you to feel better too. Yeah. So true. Well, and if you've been struggling for a long period of time and a lot of the things that ordinary solutions that, you know, kind of the average muggle (laughs) that works for them don't work for you or don't work for me, like I... I have tried so many things. And especially when I was younger, I tried so many things. And I just found that a lot of the things that kind of the average person could do and find a way to rally didn't cut it for me. And so having the experience of finding tools that work really, like, I don't know, like I felt I don't take those, those tools for granted I, I, that, and, and when I find something that is effective and is helpful, it's, it's just so precious to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah. And I know you've touched on this a little bit, but what would you say healing with creativity means to you? Mm. I, you know, the first word or the first thought answer that comes to me is um, the capacity to heal with curiosity, to approach everything with an open mind and with the ability to see things in a new way every single time. That I think creativity, like the line between creativity and like innovation, inventiveness, discovery is all interconnected. And, you know, instead of following a formula and instead of trying to make everything do like, you know, point A to point B, follow these steps, follow these directions. For me, healing with creativity is both. It's like, it's kind of one of those words. It's one of those sentences where it means this, if you say it this way, and this, if you say it that way, because there's healing with creativity as the modality But then there's also healing with creativity as the adjective that we are using creativity or we're healing with creativity. And I think that for me, there's the experience of using creative expression as the modality, as the expression, whether it's movement or writing or um, music or drawing or creating in some way or collaging. There's that, but then there's also that aspect of healing with creativity in the sense of all not making assumptions, not, not coming to it with like a formula that has to be followed. Because in my experience, the most exciting creative like healing process is when there's this inspiration and 
you know, like at each moment, you're sort of listening and thinking about what fits, what works out, you know, what are you going to pull out of the toolbox that's going to work in this situation? What's the question that you want to draw out and that you want to get more information about? Like, how do you want to approach it? So I guess just thinking about that, for me, it is both a noun, the modality of creativity, and also the adjective of the process of or expressing or or healing creatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really good point that you make, right? Because we often think of it as like the modality. And mm-hmm. and there's so it's so much deeper than that, right? Yeah. And 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 looking and exploring new ways to heal and and how how that works for us. And it's going to be different for everyone. And one one process may not work and one modality may not, you know, so just that exploration, I think, is super important. Well, and it's it's so much I think that I think that being an artist is not about the product, you know, being a creative person is not necessarily I mean, yes, you've got a bunch of paintings behind you. I've got a bunch of paintings behind me. They're sort of like it's almost like there's kind of the byproduct of creativity is all of this wonderful stuff that you put up on the wall or that you put, you know, that you listen to or you watch on you watch on on, you know, on a big screen or a small screen. But I think that for me, creativity is more about the way I look at life and the way I perceive my world and I engage with my world than it is necessarily about the product. Because I've gone through a number of iterations in my life with my creative process where the modality that I thought I was married to changed for me. And where I have had to have the willingness to shift gears and recognize that even though I might not be painting right now, or I might not be writing, you know, writing right now, or I might not be drawing right now, or I might not be um, moving my body or singing or doing something right now, like there, whatever modality it is that I identify as being, I'm a painter, I'm a sculptor, I'm a this, that even if I'm not doing that, I'm still living my life from this experience of creative process. Like everything is a creative process and um, giving myself like as a kid and as a young art student and sort of young adult, even I had a lot of more, rigid rules about what it meant to be a creative person, which included this idea of production or productivity, or like, what do you have to show for the creativity? Whereas at this point in time, I've gone through enough phases in my life where the creative uh, outlet changed. And there are times where the creative outlet is cooking. There are times where the creative outlet is writing. There are times where the creative outlet is digital, you know, digital, like spending hours in Canva, creating memes and digital content. But it all comes back to there are times where the creative process is creating ritual and creating experiences for other people and teaching. And so I have found that the ability to or the willingness to reboot my perspective 
and give myself permission to approach life as a creative process, as opposed to defining it by a paintbrush or a pen or a computer screen. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so true. I often talk about that, you know, creativity is in everything we do. Everything. Right? And, yeah. and so many times we think about, you know, painting a masterpiece or writing a best-selling book or playing in a rock band, whatever it is. And, and creativity, because it's in everything we do, it's like, how can we um, like look at that creativity or appreciate that creativity to enhance our life as opposed to, you know, it being a chore Right. Well, being a chore. And also, um, you know, I hear when you were talking about like create a masterpiece, being a rock star, being the New York Times bestseller, you know, this idea of the end goal is, you know, I think it's incredibly sad how creativity in many ways has gone from being something that's the birthright of everybody to being very, you know, to having sort of these elite contain, you know, ideas of who's allowed to be creative. And, you know, so often when we're focused on, it has to be a masterpiece. It has to be a New York times bestseller. It has to be, I have to be a rock star. What I've seen, unfortunately, is that that set of rules and that perfectionism is just a total um, buzzkill. Like it is because it inhibits our ability to create. And one of the very best creative suggestions that I ever received when I was much, much younger was I had this friend who we were like art buddies and we sort of like supported each other in being creative and being artists. And we held each other accountable. Like we would talk on the phone almost every day and just sort of be like, so what are you doing for creativity today? And one of the things that this person said was, was that was like has left such an incredibly lasting impression was to she gave me the assignment to create the very worst piece of art I could possibly make. And that is the most fun assignment, like whether it is make the worst piece of music you could ever possibly make, make the schlockiest, like make the schlock, write the schlockiest poem you could ever write, paint the sappiest painting, the stu- like the worst, most mediocre, most awful thing you could ever do. And what's really funny about that is when you set that as your assignment, not only is it incredibly fun, but also you'll start to discover that you can't make something bad. Like, it's next to impossible. Whereas if you set the site of I'm going to create a masterpiece, you're probably actually going to create something pretty, you know, the worst piece ever. So, but when you set that as sort of like the, Hey, what if I just give myself permission to make the worst thing I could possibly make? Mm-hmm. Freedom comes from that. Yeah, it really yeah. does. And, and just in, you know, as you were saying that I was, I was thinking about um that expectations, right? And, and the expectations on us and which then got me thinking about, you know, why so many people think they're not creative is because of the school system and we're grading art and it's like, okay, technique is one thing like to learn a technique, but to tell me I can't paint a purple tree because they don't exist. And I have one in my yard, but even if I didn't, you know, like I, a purple tree that works for me. Right. And, you know, grading that sort of thing. And then and then people are afraid to to be creative in whatever way. 
And like, even I think about home ec, which was a thing I had to take way back in the day. I did too. <laughs> I don't think they yep. have that, you know, and we, we couldn't vary from the recipe. We couldn't add a little of this or a little of that. We like had to follow the recipe and it's like, we, we just, we killed creativity and, and now we're struggling because it's like, Oh, we don't have any in our, you know, and now, you know, employers want people that are more creative and it's like, well, how do we bring that back? We have to get people to think again. Right, right, right. Well, and, you know, as you were speaking about home ec, I was thinking it's kind of an interesting, you know, dynamic, because in my experience with home ec, part of the reason why you couldn't vary from the recipe was because there was a very, very, um, there was a set of allotted supplies and staples. And there wasn't extra vanilla extract, there wasn't extra spices, there wasn't really any, like, you couldn't vary from the recipe partially, because it was kind of like they gave you a kit. And you had only so much stuff to work with. And, you know, I mean, it's funny, though, because like, I as a kid, I grew up at the time where they still had all of those paint by numbers paintings and stuff like that. And I knew people who really loved to paint by numbers. I loathed it. I hated painting by numbers. And, you know, I think one or two times people gave me something with a paint by numbers and I would try it. And then I would just kind of like go wildly off road. And, you know, it's funny because it's like coloring outside of the lines, but with a coloring book or trying to paint by numbers, but outside the painting by numbers that I think is really like, it's much easier to look at it and be like, you are doing this wrong than when you have a little bit of structure that you can then, but that where there's room to play or grow or stretch. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I agree so much with that. And I've never been one of those um, facilitators, teachers that was like, okay, we're going to do this. And you put this paint here and then you do this. And it's like, okay, here's the supplies that we have. Here's like the general idea. How does this feel to you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm not the person to come to if you want to know an exact way to replicate something. That's not, um, but yeah, I think it's so important that we have that um, space. Right? Absolutely. Well, and what I realize, you know, For me, one of the things that I have found over the years, and this has been particularly true with writing, like I can start with a blank piece of paper for a piece of visual art, but when it comes to writing or getting thoughts or ideas down, I have discovered that I do way better responding to things, responding to prompts, responding to questions, responding to, you know, as we were talking about like that idea of discovering that something needs course correction or needs adapting, uh, you know, when I discover that there's a problem and we're looking for a solution, I'm much more able to access my creativity and access that sort of um, experience and then kind of engage with it and find next thing, next thing, next thing. than if I'm just sort of trying to create something out of whole cloth, like, And so I know for myself, like having access to templates can really make a huge difference. Um, Being able to take like even one of the things about my writing process is I come from a family with a lot of dyslexia and a lot of ADHD. I definitely consider myself neurospicy. And so what I and what I've found is that for like, for example, for the writing process, 
I generally have to speak things before I can write things. And when I gave myself permission to take pieces of, you know, record things, rip them as transcripts, and then take that content and often toss it over to um, one of my one of my editing friends and let the editor take a whack at it and just clean it up a little bit and then throw it back at me. And then I get to go back in and write and play and engage with it. Mm -hmm. I find that that process is so much more um, accessible than just sort of starting with a blank piece of paper and going, okay, so now what? And the other thing is like, even with like, um, for emails and things like that, you know, starting with sort of like templates where it's like, you know, you know, your favorite version of greeting, you know, term name for the person situation you're in, but, you know, like, even if it's just, they're saying like, use this, use this formula and plug and play. I find that to be much easier. And yet that is so different than sort of the, you know, following along with Bob Ross or going to one of those like uh, wine and painting evenings where mm-hmm. everybody comes away with the same painting of the moon and the tree. Yeah, it, yeah. it's so true. And, and because we've been taught that, first of all, not to trust ourselves, but also that creativity has got to be a certain way templates are are wonderful for that because it allows you to explore with a little bit of um, prompting without doing it all for you. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I use them myself. That's more the way that I would, I would instruct. And yeah, I love that. that. Well, and um, you know, I mean, right now within the creativity world, there is a lot of uh, hubbub and a lot of, uh, stuff going on around AI, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just amazing. And my personal feeling about it is that instead of looking at it as competition, what if we looked at it in terms of collaboration? And instead of looking at it as this is going to replace me, what if we look at it as this is a tool I can use to um, expedite the process to save myself some time um, and to adapt things. But, you know, because I've heard a lot of artists who are just up in arms with this idea that AI is going to replace humans. And I'm kind of like, until AI actually can represent or render hands effectively, I don't think (laughs) we have anything (laughs) to worry about for a while. Um, You know, and there's also just something, you know, I don't know, like just a little bit sort of lacking in the in the AI at this point in time. But, you know, this like with like chat, um, uh, chats, GPD, GPT, I think it is, you know, the AI, the chat AI that's just like taking the world by storm right now. And also all of the visual art AI. I actually personally find it if you look at it as a tool that you can collaborate with that can help you and might give you ideas or prompts or thoughts, and then you can take it and go, oh, I could do this with this thing. Um, You know, and even before that, I went through a period where I was still doing a lot of visual art and painting, and I would go and I would take drawings that I had done, and I would bring, I would, I would have them printed digitally, like on a canvas by like Canva or, you know, like not Canva, I mean, Zazzle or some other place like that. Mm -hmm. And then I would go back into the 
printed canvas that was my original illustrations, so my own work. But then I'd go back in and I would take paint to the the printed canvas and I would go and rework the whole thing and play with it and create a new iteration of art from that. And so I lo- I love the idea of you know what like like how do we play with something so that it's not just derivative but it really is a whole new iteration and a whole new way of playing with it. And you know I don't know like as I'm talking what's coming to my mind and I'm thinking about is just how much play is such an incredibly important part of the creative process and giving ourselves permission to be playful to break the rules, to not have it to be, it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. And I think it's like the perfect, you know, um, wrap up right there is like, give ourselves permission to play. doesn't have to be perfect. Um, and just, just get out there and, and do experience, try. Yeah. 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 And uh, any final words before we go today? It's just been wonderful to talk to you. Oh, Larissa, it has been so delightful to talk about creativity. I mean, I, it, it, I think once a creative person, always a creative person. And I guess I want to go back to the piece of, well, two things. One is that in my experience, there's a, there's a solid, there's often a crossover between creative creativity and empathy or being an empath. And I didn't discuss this before, but we talked a little bit about the word empath and empathic. And I'll just say that very short, very, very short definition. An empath is a person who picks up the thoughts, feelings, energy, and sensations from the world around them and filters that experience as if it's their own. And what I have noticed is that because artists and empaths are often intersected, that one of the things that as artists we need to be aware of is the impact of other people's thoughts, feelings, and energy on our own creative process and our own expectations of what we think we should or should not be doing. And a lot of times it's not necessarily even our limitations that we're coming up against. It's the world's limitations and coming back to that permission. I give myself permission to release that which is not mine. I give myself permission to, you know, identify as an artist, to identify as a creative and to let myself play. And that it is okay for creativity to be simply because it improves. It like makes life so much sweeter, so much more wonderful, so much more delightful. And to break away from you know, patriarchy and capitalism and empire where everything is about the bottom line. And instead, like, what if creativity gets to be a radical part of the healing path that we as a species are taking to reclaim our sovereignty, to reclaim our connection to the earth and to live in a way that is sustainable and is nourishing as opposed to, um, you know, like non-sustainable and all about the productivity. So like I give myself permission to just simply be and to make and to be a maker. And I invite everybody who's listening to really claim that right to play, to make, to be, and to let go of the 
other people's egos, other people's expectations, other people's ideas of what it means to be creative and just let it be okay. So that's, those are my final words. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I see that you have a free gift, uh, the Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. So we'll make sure that link is there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. And again, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, Larissa, it has really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. To our listeners, we will see you again next time. And in the meantime, I wish for you amazingly creative days. Thank you for listening. If you found our podcast of interest, we'd love for you to leave a review wherever you listen in.